Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to either view this on YouTube or listen to this on iTunes and or Spotify. This is the first time in a while since the beginning of this pandemic uh, that we have done a uh, a podcast, and so we're grateful for the opportunity to be back with you through this medium. As always, we want to uh, invite you to let us know how we're doing. You can reach me by uh, writing me an email at fredjeffsmith at cox.net. Fredjeffsmith at cox.net. Let us know how we're doing, up or down, good or bad. We appreciate your input. I want you to notice that we are practicing social distancing, uh, and I want you to notice uh, that I'm using a mask. And that is for the protection of my guest and my producer, uh, Terrence Turner, uh, more than it is for myself. I want to encourage you as you're venturing back out into the community, going back to work, going back to recreational activities, please be wise, please be smart about what you're doing. Protect yourselves, protect your family. COVID-19 virus is real and it's still out there. There is no vaccine. It's important that you do everything in your power to protect you and yours from contracting this disease. I'm very happy today to welcome Mr. Joseph Dupard Sr., who is a real estate uh, uh, representative of Coldwell Banker here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He's a churchman. He's a deacon at the Greater New Guide Baptist Church here in Baton Rouge. He's a Facebook friend of mine. We exchange thoughts and ideas on a regular basis, and I thought it would be good to have Mr. Dupart here today so that we can talk about the status of real estate in Baton Rouge post-COVID-19 and other things. Mr. Dupart, thank you for taking the time thank to be you, a part Pastor. of the Thrive Podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. Tell me about Joseph Dupart. I, I know that you're from Donaldsonville. How did you, how did you arrive here from Donaldsonville? What, what What's your story? Well, my story is that I uh, you know, attended uh, Southern University, and um, you know, uh, I wound up here in Baton Rouge, uh, and uh, pretty much school is what what brought me here. Okay. Um, I'm, you know, I'm from the uh, big city of Modest, Louisiana, <laughs> out there where we have the, um, you know, the cattle and the skyscrapers together. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Capital city of, uh, of Donaldsonville. <laughs> yes, sir. But, um, you know, I just uh, migrated here and I really love Baton Rouge. Uh, I commend you for the job that you're doing here uh, in this community. Of course, you have great roots in your father, so uh, being here and and your willingness to be involved with technology 
and uh, and I am, you know, kind of a student of that game as well. Yes, sir. And you, we're, like you said, we're Facebook friends. You're using podcasts, and uh, you're on the Internet. And I really believe, and I know that this uh, discussion is about real estate, but I think God is telling us something here, Pastor. I might inject that. I don't want to change the format too much yes, here. Sir. But I think he wants us as Christians to start to utilize the Internet for ministry. I mean, I know we utilize it for a lot of things. Yes, sir. You know, we're on Facebook with a lot of stuff. We're on Snapchat. We're on Twitter. We're Instagram, all of that. Yes, sir. But uh, God said there would be a time when we could do greater works. Right. And when you look at, you look at the, uh, the most recent riots and all of this stuff and, uh, you know, a lot of that was fueled by the internet, by yes, people sir. talking to each other. Yes, That's sir. how they knew, hashtags. They knew to be out there at a specific time. Yes, sir. So if they can utilize it, then I think, and this right now, for this brief period, is the time when we uh, can't go to church collectively just yet. God is telling us something. Yes, sir. And a lot of times he's ahead of us. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And we don't want it. There are a lot of people don't want to hear anything about it. But right. anyway, this is one of my things, so I won't. <laughs> no, but 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 since, since you said that, just let me respond by saying I totally agree with you. Uh, one of the things that uh, we are recognizing here at Shiloh is that when we come back, and we're not there yet, but when we come back, things are going to be radically different from the way that they were before. Uh, the way that we conduct the corporate worship experience is going to be different. The way that we do Christian education, the idea of Sunday school, and uh, we're in the midst of summer now, vacation Bible school, how things like that are going to take place. Uh, this need to continue social distancing is going to require that we do some thinking about how we do things. And, and quite honestly, we don't have all the answers yet, uh, and we're going to have to make some serious adjustments. And so uh, I appreciate the fact that you recognize that things are different, and we're trying to do the best that we can through the utilization of technology uh, to keep the message going out into the public. That's why people like Brother Turner and his staff, he has a staff here, uh, our audio-video ministry, they do a tremendous job uh, because they allow us to get the worship experience and the Bible studies and the Sunday school lesson out beyond the walls of this church into a much broader audience. And I'm very grateful to them for that. Now, talk to me about the state of real estate post-COVID-19 here in Baton Rouge. Well, um, actually, we have cautiously bounced back. You know, I say cautiously because I am a person of faith, mm -hmm. and I believe God has all the answers. We don't. Mm -hmm. While we, we think we're back right now, yes, but in terms of the raw data, I bought some, uh, you know, some uh, PowerPoint here yes, sir. that showed that uh, in— March, when we started to stay at home, 
we uh, real estate market was ahead of 2019. We were looking good. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, when people got nervous and afraid and concerned, then some people didn't want to put their houses on the market. They didn't want people coming into their homes, and understandably so. Yes, sir. So, so uh, the, the listings started to fall. People weren't listing, but people were still cautiously buying. We all had to just, I know with myself, I had to sit down and say, now, God, what am I going to do with this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. afraid of the grocery? No, baby, I don't want the grocery. Don't worry about it. I'm on a diet right now. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, I was probably the only one like that. Yes, oh, I think I might have this thing. But anyway, uh, you asked me about real estate. Uh, but right now in June, you know, we've caught up with our uh, new listings Good. from last year. Good. So uh, people are moving on. Mm -hmm. You know, they're moving on with their lives. And uh, and I do apologize. I, I was given the opportunity by, uh, you know, by you to put on my mask, but I just... No, you're fine. Just, you you're know, fine. We're, just, we're practicing uh, social distancing, and I want you to be comfortable. And let me tell you, talking through a mask is a difficult <laughs> thing to do. Uh, but we were talking about technology with regard to worship. I know that there's technology with regard to real estate as well. Uh, you can do virtual tours of homes and of businesses and things of that sort. Has that been helpful to you in, in your business? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, you know, it uh, it is very helpful. And the reason I ask, because I am, like I said, I'm kind of a student of technology. Mm -hmm. And and I and I praise God for that. And you're going to hear me talk a lot about it because I do. You know, whenever I make a step or I'm about to purchase something or I'm about to go in the house or I'm about to, you know, uh, work with somebody, I say, Lord, help me with this. And you have to be humble with it. And then you ask him, and he does. The reason I made that statement is because I was doing virtual tours 10 years ago. Okay. So it's You were ahead of, of the game. Oh, I was way ahead of the game. Yes, sir. I uh, way ahead. Uh, and, <laughs> and humbly, I'd like to say I'm way ahead of it now. Yes, sir. Uh, there are a lot of things. I just, God gives me the vision and the wisdom to do what I need to do. Mm -hmm. And it works. Mm -hmm. But it's just that a lot of times people have a little time to, <laughs> to catch up. So if you go and talk to the good Lord, not only about home buying, but other areas in your life, he's going to give you what you need. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. As an African-American entrepreneur, uh, because he, you represent Colwell Banker, but you're really an entrepreneur. You're, you're in business for yourself. You're an agent of Colwell Banker, but you're actually in business for yourself. Help me to understand what the climate is like as an African-American in Baton Rouge uh, as an entrepreneur. Well, um, you know, the, the climate is... Uh, the terrain is not really that easy, to mm -hmm. be honest with you, Pastor. Um, you know, um, you hear a lot of uh, black-owned businesses saying, hey, we need your support. Right. Uh, the same is true in the real estate business. Mm -hmm. African-Americans need your support. And we, I don't say that, you know, in a racist term. Naturally, you 
do business with whomever you're comfortable with. Right. But as an African-American, um, and you're right, we are independent contractors. Each one of us, uh, regardless of race, are we are different business people. I mean, right. we sit on our own. When I go in that office, I don't go to work for a boss. Right. I am the boss. Right. This is my business. Yes, sir. And uh, so what I found is that it's just difficult. You know, uh, we don't get uh, support from the uh, larger white community. I do have some white business, uh -huh. but if I had to break it down in terms of percentage, it would be pretty small, uh, you know, 5% or less. And then of that, probably, you know, uh, some of that non-white would be not actually whites, but say Asians, you know. Yes, sir. All that. So, so yes, the larger part of it is not because I desire to be so as African-Americans that, you know, that listen that are comfortable doing business with me. Now, help me to understand from your, and, and there's no wrong answer. I, I, I'm just curious. Why do you think that is? You've been in the real estate business for 34 years. There's hardly anything about real estate that you don't know. You've just said that when it comes to technology, you're ahead of the game. Why do you think it is that such a small percentage of non-African-American business uh, comes your way? Um, well, you know, I think that, you know, uh, in this current environment with uh, God rest the dead, uh, George Floyd, with uh, we've just witnessed mm -hmm. uh, his murder, um, you know, things, uh, we, we all need to discuss the fact that there's systemic racism. Yes, sir. Consciously or unconsciously, you know. Uh, and I think, to answer your question, that that is the reason why that whites in particular may not be, because they're not predisposed to do business with me. Um, and I also feel that uh, post-Barack Obama, and I'm not, you know, beating up on millennials. I love millennials. That's the ones who are going to be buying homes now. A lot of millennials probably thought we were in somewhat in a post-racial era uh -huh. right now. Uh -huh. And they don't come to me in many instances to do business either, not just whites. Uh, because they're comfortable, they, they've integrated in the workplace. Uh-huh. We, as you know, probably have not integrated that much in the spiritual space in terms of church. We don't see right. a lot of integration there. Right. Um, so then they felt because they have, you know, white co-workers, then they need to be doing business with others as well. But so, haven't uh, we always been doing business with, 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 with white folk? Uh, uh, at one point we were doing business with white folk because they were the only ones who were out there to do business with. But we told our children, go to school become doctors, become lawyers, become architects, become accountants, become real estate representatives, become whatever it is that you want to become, be an entrepreneur. And yet on the back end of that, I suspect that support for African-Americans who take up the challenge and do the work and invest the time and the energy and the and, and the academic uh, investment that's necessary in order to become all that, that that you have become, you don't get the proper remuneration from that from the African American community, and. 
for me, that's troubling. I pastor a church, so I look at it from, from a church standpoint, and I don't mind saying it's troubling to me when I see a percentage, albeit a relatively small percentage, but a, a significantly uh, steady percentage, about 15% of African-American Christians attend white-led churches. That, 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 that's on the national average. It's not Baton Rouge. That's across the scale. 15% attend uh, uh, white-led churches. That's troubling to me. I don't know what the percentage is in your business, but don't you feel a certain degree of resentment that, that, that African-Americans don't support you and your industry uh, in the way that you probably think that they should and could? Oh, I do. I mean, I, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those uh, ugly realities um, that we deal with. Uh, it's always present in the back of our mind. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like with the police brutality issue where the parents have to have the talk with their child, mm -hmm. then I have to go out and I realize that, uh, you know, this is what I'm going to have to deal with if I'm going to stay in the business, yeah. which is a lack of support. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, uh, you know, we do tolerate loss of income. Yeah. Un unnecessarily so. Yes, you know, I will give you uh, uh, an example. I am working with a, a, a white couple now. Actually, it was a interracial couple. Yes, sir. And I was, uh, and I, I really believe in preparation. As you can see from this, this is the way I roll. Yes, sir. Uh, I like to be prepared. I don't want to even try to do it if I'm not prepared. So I was uh, negotiating a contract for her. I was in preparation, and mm -hmm. we were going over the strategy for presenting that offer. Mm -hmm. um, and I went through all of my preparation with her, and, and, and you know, at one point I asked her, I said, I didn't lose you, right? She said, no. She said, I'm just blown away. Uh -huh. She said, I don't know where I'm going to go and get this kind of information yes. that you're presenting to me. Yes. Because, you know, like I said, I give praise to God. He has led me in some directions that allow me to do what I do. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, so what you're saying essentially is you have to be better than everybody else. Oh, no question. In order to get even a cursory look from people uh, who don't look like you. Right. True. True. And, and the thing about it, like I said, when I've had exchanges and opportunities to work with people of majority races, mm -hmm. they're, they're blown away. Yes, sir. They say, wow, I didn't believe this. And I don't say that uh, in a braggadocious manner or anything. You know, I, I give credit to God. Sure. Because he is the source of my strength, and he is the one that I, you know, depend on. And, he, and he's good. He's good. I'm looking at him right now, uh, you know, in action, yes, in sir. all of this turmoil yes, sir. that we're dealing with. Yes, sir. Uh, I see a gentleman, uh, I'll try to take his name, that made that uh, hymn about listen. Uh, I loved that. Mm -hmm. What was his name? Uh, I, can't, I can't think. It wasn't Hezekiah, but it's another one that's, that, that has a uh, spiritual out about listen. Yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. And uh, God is trying to tell us something. Yes, sir. Let me ask you this. Part of your job, I would imagine, I, I remember a couple years ago, my wife and I purchased the home that we are in now. And uh, the, the real estate person that we worked with uh, had relationships with financiers in order to make sure that we were qualified for the loan. I imagine that's a large part of yes, your business is. as well. Help me to 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 understand uh, what it is that you go through in order to get uh, young people, middle-aged people, qualified in order to purchase a home. Is it all just credit scores now, or, or is there more to it than just credit scores? Well, um, there's a, a little bit more now to it okay. than, than just credit scores. And I'd like to uh, give a little shout out to Miss Sharon Williams. She's a member of your church and, yeah. uh, at Prime Lending. And yeah. she, uh, she and I do a lot of business together. Very uh, staunch professional lady. She understands all of this. But, uh, yeah, you know, to answer uh, your question, you, you have the credit scores. Um, and for most of your government loans, and when I say government, uh, anything that's not a conventional loan, meaning like a, a uh, one of the banks, what name of one of the big banks? Uh, Chase. Yeah, like Chase or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, anything that's not that type would be like your FHA, right. uh, your uh, VA, right. and all. They're credit-driven as well, right. and they're, they like a, a 640 middle score to qualify. Um, and um, so when I say middle, you have your three uh, credit reporting agencies, your TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. Right. So not the highest one, not the lowest one, but the one in the middle yes, sir. needs to be your 640. But when I say a little more than credit scores, post-2008, uh, when uh, President Obama came in office and when there was the, uh, you know, the meltdown mm -hmm. uh, and the banks were, we had to bail them out. Right. Then they became a lot more strict. So a person now that looking to purchase needs to really uh, pay attention to how they not only pay their bills, but definitely they need to pay their bills. Right. But they need to try to save some money. Uh -huh. uh, there's a term in mortgage lending that's called residual Lend, a residual income, meaning that what do you do with the extra money that you don't uh, spend going to eat out with your, you know, your uh, little extra money? Are you right. saving any of it? Right. So, what do we mean by that? Like, if your house note is twelve hundred a month, uh -huh. do you have? Suppose you lost your job tomorrow, do you have three or four, or five or six months residual right. to pay that? That's what the lenders are looking at right. now. I'm not sitting here and saying that that level of preparation has to be there for every buyer. Mm -hmm. There are all kinds of uh, mitigate, mitigating circumstances and variables that go into mortgage lending. Yes, sir. Uh, but, again, I would just uh, start to, if I were a buyer today, to prepare myself. Mm -hmm. Pay those bills on time or ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And we're all busy, you know. If you can swing it, put them on automatic thing. Right. You know, the way they automatic draft and right. pay them. That way you got to have a solid record. Right. But that's a part of it. Your overall preparation, you know, is a part of it. Yeah. So it's, uh, 
you know, you kind of got to bring your A game. But I will say this too: I work with a uh, a company that does credit repair, mm-hmm. and. For those that are preparing and trying to come in the market, we do have a little window open right now. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Uh, COVID has obviously affected everybody's workplace. So you have a lot of people that are, um, you know, excuse me, the uh, credit agencies aren't immune. They are working from home. They may be Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. short-staffed for various reasons. So that means they don't have time to pay attention to your credit situation somewhat. Mm-hmm. So when they're challenged and the state law mandates how quickly they have to get back to a challenge, right. they'll give them like 30 days and they're saying, wow, we don't even have anybody here working. We can't get back. So that person that challenges for them, they can do what? Say, hey, you didn't get back with a boom, it's gone. So there's a window here okay. whereby maybe a person who needs, uh, you know, to have some things improved, you know, mm-hmm. on their credit, this little time, little season might well, be a time. When it comes to lending, and, and I hope I'm not taking you too far outside of, of, of your comfort zone, because I know you're, you're on the sales end, not on the lending end, but... One of the things that that was a part of my own personal experience was uh, a feeling that we were redlined uh, out of a certain area that we uh, wanted to purchase. Just, just, just let me give you a brief history of, of our story. My wife was very passionate about buying in this area. She wanted to buy a property right around the corner from where we are, Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, It was on South 11th Street, which is just a couple of blocks over. And we were going to purchase a house. We were going to do a significant renovation to the house. And we tried to to qualify for what's called a 203K lending program. We tried for two years to qualify for a 203K lending program. We went to a couple of banks and ultimately they turned us down. Uh, they, they said that we didn't qualify. So you come back a week later and we saw the home that we ultimately ended up purchasing, which was not in this area. It's, it's in a traditional neighborhood. The cost for that home is $100,000 more than the 203K loan that we were interested in uh, for right around the corner. We could not get qualified for a 203K loan, but we were immediately qualified for uh, that loan for the house that we're in now. Now, you can't convince my wife. If she was in here right now, she'd be ranting right now. We were redlined that, that... People are looking at the gentrification that's taking place within the center part of Baton Rouge, and they saw that we were African-American, and somebody made the decision that while we may have been qualified objectively from a financial standpoint, because we're paying more for this than we were going to pay for that, that we weren't going to be qualified for that. Am I paranoid? (laughs) <laughs> for thinking yeah. that or or is redlining something that's that's real 
in in the real estate business in Baton Rouge. Well, you know, and it's okay if you call me paranoid. No, <laughs> I, that's I'm okay. good with that. No, no, no. But you're not paranoid. But this is the thing: is it comes back to the other part of our question is systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I can't quite. There are a couple of answers, and I know exactly what you're talking about with the 203K loans, and uh, there are a couple of answers. Now, uh, there could be an element there that, you know, uh, what we might call inside baseball. So what am I saying about that? They look at you and your wife, and they say, wow, these folks got great credit scores, and he's at shallow, you know, they they, they, they size you up. Yeah. And then they go say, okay, well, it's easier for me. I'm just going on. And so they may have made a subconscious decision where they wanted you to buy, which is, in essence, a form of redlining. Mm-hmm. But there's another element to that, and, and that is the 203K is a labor intense, especially what you described to me. Mm-hmm. That's a labor-intensive venture. Uh, you have to get a consultant in, and you have to, you know, have contractors in, and you have to get bids, yes. and they're looking at you with this big, fat, juicy credit score that, you know, so then they may have just probably said, nah, he, he don't need that. Yeah. Not, and that's, that's the, that hits at the core also of not doing business with a person like me. Mm-hmm. When you because I would have fought tooth and nail to get that two hundred three k loan mm-hmm. close to the church for you and your wife. Yeah, because that's who I am. I I come first out of being a Christian, mm-hmm. then a business person. Mm-hmm. Business person secondary to me. Your interest is first to me. Whereas you'd be surprised a number of millennials that figure well they don't need me you don't know you need me and you don't realize it yeah because i can help you i have your best interest at heart yeah i'm gonna get for you what i want what you tell me you need mm-hmm. need not want mm-hmm. you and your you and your wife or whatever so there is it's it's a complicated thing yes to answer your question it could be and uh, you're not paranoid it could be some of that somebody uh-huh. back there pulling these strings right and saying, nah, we're not, and then it may be the area as well. Okay, yeah. I might not be as likely uh, lending to somebody in there. Our, our experience, we've looked at the pool of loans that we have over there, and right. they have this percentage of uh, default rate, whereas the pool in this zip code, they're doing just fine. Yeah. So it's, it's complicated. It's not that easy. But uh, systemic racism is real. Are African-American lenders in a good position right now to help african-americans purchase homes um absolutely they can they can and do uh what they're willing to do that have been my experience is they're willing to work with a person that needs some help mm-hmm. more so than a majority lender they won't tell you that either mm-hmm. they're just not going to return your call you know, you keep calling and say, man, those people are horrible. They're not calling you because you need a little help. You need some love. Right. <laughs> you, you, need, you need somebody who's going to hang with you and, you know, help you to get to the point. And so, yeah, that's in that regard, definitely they are more helpful because they understand that you are likely to be the uh, last hired and the first fri- fired. Right. That COVID 
uh, experience here now is hitting you harder. Yeah. So they're gonna they're committed to helping you to get on your feet and get you that house. Yeah. You've been through maybe that short sale or that uh, you know or that foreclosure because of some uh, you know other circumstances. So they they understand that mm -hmm. and they're willing to spend the time. That all comes back down to time too. Yes, sir. And commitment. Yes, sir. You're a husband and a father and. Uh, you're committed to this community. As you see the protests that have uh, broken out over the last uh, two weeks uh, resulting from uh, the George Floyd murder, I don't want to call it an incident, it wasn't an incident, it was a murder. Uh, uh, what's your assessment of where we are uh, you're a black man, you're an entrepreneur, you're a husband, you're a father. You go to church every Sunday, you, you, you're a deacon in, in your church. How do you handle the emotions that have to come with a vision of watching George Floyd having the life literally breathed, uh, 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 taken out of him? How, how does that make you respond? In the year of our Lord, 2020, that this is still going on. <laughs> well, I mean, it's uh, it's atrocious, uh, you know, that the callousness when you when you look at that that officer, and he almost looked like you know it was just another day at the office. Yeah, he didn't he didn't see he didn't this man was begging for his life, and uh, so I think. There are a couple of aspects to this current situation. I think there's some hopefulness in that the marches now are more biracial, interracial, or whites and blacks. So I think the younger generation, and you know, I think that also God has, uh, you know, he has his hand on this. And, yes, you know, uh, with our current president, Donald Trump, um, there was some saying when he first came in office, let Trump be Trump. Yeah. And now we see with the COVID and with George Floyd and with all these other things, we're seeing God being God. Yeah. And we can compare them. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we decided to, or this current administration decided to uh, put kids in cages yes and yes. you know i I'm looked glad at you brought that up yes. yeah and and you know i looked at that and i said man just me now this is me yes sir now they're gonna become mongoloids how are they gonna get education if they're in a cage yeah um but god being god he he saw it too and even though it was a small number, I don't know how many the number was. It may have been three or four hundred. They meant a lot to God. Yes. God said, "No, I'm I'm shutting this whole thing down. Yes. All the kids. Now we have to not only worry about, you know, those kids because I'm still concerned about them. We have to worry about all kids. And God, you notice this didn't just happen in the U.S. Yes, sir. It happened worldwide. Yes, sir. So I think that, you know. Whenever God sends you back to your room or your bunker, listen to that. You'll you remember that one. You'll catch that one before you head home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
There ain't too many of us have bunkers, but one person had a bunker. Even though he say he went there to just look in the bunker. Okay. Uh, Rev, you. Spot uh, check. That's all it was. It was, it was a, a spot, spot check. check. Yeah. You know, Rev, you, you, you shop. I admire you. I mean, I got a bridge in Brooklyn. I want to say you for about forty cents <laughs> when we fit great investment. Do you believe? But anyway, uh, you know, it's it's just God being God. Yes, sir. And, and uh, we just need to listen. You know, we're doing ourselves, but God wants us to do God and his work, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, it's uh, it's atrocious, you know, all of them, the way that these people just snuffed their lives out. That gentleman was just 46 years old, had yes. his whole life in front of him. Yes. Uh, yes. But, the, you know, the, the, the mere reality of... Um, you know, uh, of racism. It's insidious, really. Yeah. I remember vividly having some uh, a white-owned business that really liked me. And his son, it was a hardware store in North Baton Rouge. They really liked me, and I liked them. But I always remember not feeling comfortable inviting him over for dinner mm -hmm. because he was white. Yeah. I didn't dislike him. I was crazy about him. They yeah. were crazy about me. Yeah. But because of this racism and racism, and of course people, you know, they benefit from it, and I think that it's, you know, part and parcel to uh, some of the things that happen and why the gentleman in office now can get by with pretty much anything. Yes. <laughs> you know, because yes. there was, there is a, a, you know, back during, I believe it was back during President Obama when they were trying to do a, a economic package or something they called it a grand bargain yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a grand bargain going on right now absolutely and it's not stated but no. he's offering something yeah and yeah. it's in a code but he's offering it I so agree. as an exchange for that he can get by with shooting somebody on fifth avenue which is what he said <laughs> that's exactly what he said uh when 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 the protests began, uh, my wife and I were actually in Chicago. Uh, we, we had to go up there for a brief bit, and it was a Sunday afternoon, and the protests were of such intensity that uh, police officers had pretty much shut the suburbs down. They, they were allowing protests to take place in the downtown area, but they had blocked off neighborhoods uh, as you move south of the city for fear of the violence and uh, the looting that might take place. And in some places, it did. By and large, these protests have been peaceful. Uh, the news highlights what the news highlights, which is violence and destruction. In Baton Rouge, the protests have been overwhelmingly peaceful, and I have been so proud of uh, the, the, the young people of this community, uh, uh, not just young people, but, but primarily young people of this community, for the restraint that they have shown in exercising their right to protest. It makes me hopeful about the future. H how do you feel about that as you have watched things unfold over the past few days? Well, you know, um, I, I feel the same way. I am hopeful, uh, but 
I do think, and and I, and you know, for whom whomever that might not, you know, be proper English for those who he busted up a, a adverb that came out with a subject and verbs came out with boxing gloves on or something. But <laughs> whomever whomever <laughs> listening to this podcast, uh-huh. you know, they need to direct that energy now into mobilizing yes. into uh getting ready for november yes they need to yes uh i don't know <laughs> i don't know how to say this the right way but uh anyway i don't know how many people out there are dying to get a uh vaccine from the current administration i don't mm-hmm. know i mean mm-hmm. that may play both ways but anyway mm-hmm. uh but anyway like i said you know uh we need to be mobilizing yeah. All that energy, and not to belittle it, it was needed, it was necessary, but now we need to turn our attention to November. If we're going to see these kids' uh, efforts, because they've, they've made sacrifice. Right. They've done this right. in the middle of a pandemic. Yes. They've done this in, in potential risk, not only to themselves, but to their parents, yes. their grandparents, which they're going back home to. Yes, sir. So all that sacrifice and potential sacrifice should not be in vain. Yes, sir. Uh, we need to do something in, in, in November, uh, and I think that's what they should direct now. I think that movement, as impressive and as organized as it is, should now go into getting ready for November. Okay, how many of us are going to get out? What are we going to do to get the people to the polls? Who's going to go out? We really need to make that change because when we look at the choice right now between the Democrat and the Republican, couldn't be clearer. Right. And I think to build on the, on the thing that was started now, in honoring George Floyd, they need to get together. We need to get together. Yes, we sir. need to get ready for November. That's where I think the the change, because when you get different style of leadership that emphasizes unity and togetherness and racial harmony and productivity, because really it's not detached from productivity. Mm-hmm. When, mm-hmm. when we work together as unified in race we're going to be more productive because i'm going to have an idea you didn't think about you're going to have what i didn't think about we could make some more changes more money more everything do something spiritually better go out and witness together so i'm hopeful of it but i think that uh november is going to be a turning point this is the most important and consequential election of most all of our lifetimes yeah let me turn this back to real estate for for just a moment um most of your business you've told me is residential but you do do a a portion of commercial business there seems to be struggle with uh commercial real estate in the north baton rouge area uh build baton rouge uh under the direction of chris tyson has developed uh, a master plan for the redevelopment of plank road uh turning it more into a commercial friendly uh venue for 
the people, the citizens who live in North Baton Rouge. And it's it, it's funny because I've lived here just about all my life. I spent a few years down in New Orleans, but Baton Rouge is home, born and raised. What they call North Baton Rouge now is really what we called Mid-City. They say everything north of Florida Boulevard is North Baton Rouge. Okay, so be it. Uh, what are the struggles to the redevelopment of North Baton Rouge that it might become a commercial hub that benefits the needs of the residents of that part of town? Now, wh- why is it such a difficult thing to get businesses to invest in uh, North Baton Rouge from, from your perspective? Well, um, you know, uh, the master plan was a good start. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I believe his leadership. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, you look at, it's hard to separate this discussion from the previous one. You look at, you know, uh, the big bold letters going up to the White House now that says Black Lives Matter. And yes, it's sir. not even the discussion. It's it, on the table at, at, from the top down, they ain't talking about it. Right. They want time to tick off the clock and go on and we'll go on to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, so I think North Baton Rouge is in that same vein. You know, you're going to have to have leadership that, and I think this is an opportunity right now because of this George Floyd thing is that, okay, let's get comfortable with this. Why is it not Baton Rouge developing? Uh, so that this should at least make it a little more comfortable and politically feasible to put the political will into doing that. Where there's a, the old folks used to say, where there's a will, there's a way. Right. And so if we have the, um, you know, if we have the uh, leadership that is saying, like I remember in the previous administration, there's a lot of energy directed towards downtown. Right. It was in vogue. Right. We need to make North Baton Rouge now in vogue because uh, of the current thing that happened with this gentleman. You know, it's been brought out that that would mean more jobs on the North Baton Rouge corridor, right. less crime. Right. When people are given a chi- chance to work, you know, we need to put the adequate policing, and I'm not trying to infer that we don't have it there, but I'm just saying, we're gonna have to have adequate policing uh, to protect everything, and uh, you know, so, yeah, it, we need a political will, and when the businesses do open, we need the support of all of Baton Rouge. Uh-huh. And that's what needs to happen in North Baton Rouge. Uh, there were some moves uh, as of uh, in the last year or two to put some emphasis on that. Right. I was glad to see that. Right. Um, I said earlier that, 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 that you're a husband and a father. Your children are grown. Right. Do your children live in Baton Rouge? My two sons, one of my sons does. One of them is an attorney here in Baton Rouge, okay. Terrell L. Dupar. Okay. And uh, my other son, he owns a, a business, like a Kinko's business, a copy shop and website design and that type of thing in Baton Rouge, I mean in New Orleans, okay. on the, uh, on the uh, West Bank of New Orleans. Do you have grandchildren yet? I do. Okay. I do. I'm bringing this to a close, and I always like to close around the idea of residency. Um, Clearly, you've made up your mind that you are going to plant your flag in Baton Rouge. 
Uh, you said one of your two sons has planted his flag in Baton Rouge. You have young grandchildren. Knowing the climate of Baton Rouge, when your grandchildren come to you or you overhear the discussion about where they want to live, would you point them in the direction of Baton Rouge? I'm always concerned about the African-American brain drain that takes place here. A lot of uh, people uh, who I have pastored over the past 34 years uh, who grew up in Baton Rouge, went to school in Baton Rouge, got their degree in Baton Rouge, ultimately left Baton Rouge and went to places like Houston, Dallas, and Memphis, and Nashville, and Atlanta in order to make their living. Would you encourage your grand... I, I know it's not your choice, it's their choice, but would you encourage, knowing what you know about Baton Rouge, would you encourage your African-American grandchildren to reside in Baton Rouge? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I would hope that, you know, um, I've uh, lived in such a way that it inspired them to realize that I'm about people. Uh, regardless to, you know, and definitely in Baton Rouge, I, I mean, you know, my, both of my sons were educated in public school here, yes, and sir. they're doing pretty well. Yes, sir. Uh, my son, who's an attorney, uh, Terrell, I'm so proud of him, and uh, he he really, uh, he's a person who's about people, and he, he's comfortable. <laughs> I mean, he wanted to get a house down in this way, too. Yes, sir. You know, in here, closest, kind of close to your church. That's the kind of person he is. Yes, sir. So, you know, uh, like they say, hopefully the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Yes, sir. And I'm hoping my grandkids, yeah, I'd be totally, uh, you know, comfortable with saying that. Yeah. yeah. You know, because uh, your altitude is going to be determined a lot by your preparation. Yes, sir. Uh, how prepared you are. Uh, what kind of skill sets you bring to the table. And, and you can grow that. You can scale that from Baton Rouge, and this could just wind up being your home base. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, so sir. I, would, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us, Mr. Dupont. I really appreciate you coming by My and, pleasure. and, and My sharing pleasure. your thoughts yes. with us. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time.